Welcome back to the With A Boy Fan Podcast. I'm your host today, Andre, and with me, I will have Ryan Wang. Ryan is the co-founder and CEO of Assembled, and in this episode, we will be speaking about the future of the industry and what is the role that Ryan wants to play in that future. Stay tuned. Everyone, very special guest today, Ryan Wang, co-founder and CEO of Assembled. Uh, it's such an honor to be interviewing you today, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm really dying to have this conversation. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Yeah, thanks. I'm super excited. Uh, you know, I we were just talking before this about how it's been a, a year of conversation, just getting to know each other, um, and so um, kudos on the general success at Farfetch, but also you know the success with WWFM. It's 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 really cool to see. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's start with with, uh, with the introduction. So I think you are not a new face in this industry. Like everyone that is following what's happening with with WFM, all the the new providers. You are the new breed, probably one of the most exciting new breeds in with WFM. So let us know a bit more about you, who you are and and kind of like uh, the journey so far to get to the to get onboarded into this industry. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just who we are. Assembled, a, you know, for the folks that don't know, a workforce management platform built for modern support teams. Um, we work with some of the most interesting, innovative, operationally complex companies in the world. Uh, there's disruptors like Stripe, like Etsy, like Zoom, um, but also kind of longstanding iconic brands like Restaurant Brands International, which owns Burger King, Popeyes, Tim Hortons, Autodesk, um, Intuit. So um, that keeps us busy. Uh, we were founded in 2018. 65 people at the company now, kind of spread across San Francisco and New York, um, and lots of people bouncing around in other countries as well. And I know you you were, before you decided to create Assembled, you were an engineer uh, at Stripe. Um, yeah. We will go there because I wanted to know more about how that, that started, but still in Assembled. So very recent news that you raised 51 million in a Series B funding. And first of all, congrats. It's a huge milestone. I'm assuming it was very stressful, uh, but I think it's something to celebrate. But how do you see the future of Assembled at this stage? Yeah, I think um, what we're hoping to do is certainly solve workforce management in, in the ways that we think it should be solved. And you know, I think uh, we get really excited about product. We get really excited about thinking about you know, where can this industry go? Um, and, and, and it's fun because uh, the, the further we go, and it's been four years in change for me, the further we go, the more kind of interesting kind of touch points we see, you know, both within contact centers, but also adjacent to, um, like we started to work with trust and safety teams, uh, you know, content moderation teams, uh, fraud teams, like fulfillment teams. Um, I just had a call earlier this week, actually, with a hospital, like at Stanford Medicine, and, you know, you see the same types of problems. And so, um, you know, obviously, we don't want to, like, lose focus squarely squarely focused on this contact center uh use case but you start to see the further you go like okay wow a lot of what we're building is, is quite fundamental yeah and, and and it's very funny because i in our value proposition at wfm something we say is that we want to be the voice for this industry and i i phrase it multiple times which is across multiple industries there is the same flavor of planning the same challenges the, the need is very like at the core, it's the same. It's just a different usage. Like sometimes it's not contacts. It's like a, a, a real person coming in and you need to manage like, but the influx of 
what the contact means, what, what a, a workload unit means can be so many, multiple things. Even in aviation, I, I use this analogy multiple yes. times, which is at an airplane, you have traffic coming in and out, and that's pretty much the same. You are managing, making sure the flow runs. So it's it's really good to see that you guys are, are considering that because I definitely think that's like whoever cracks that for the broader industry spectrum, not only the contact center, will probably win over the next decade. So like, I mean, aviation is such a funny example, right? Because um, staffing shortage, workforce management problems. I mean, two out of my last four flights were delayed because of crew issues, right? And it's the same yeah. types of or same flavor of problem, not exactly the same. Um, did, but, did you give your card in the end to the company, to the airline company saying, I can fix your problem? <laughs> I, yeah, I did. I did. And, and, and also when we tried to call support, it's, that's also challenging too. So we can help on many fronts. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, but I wanted to move a bit back, like you mentioned Stripe before, but I wanted to know before you started the journey uh, with this, with Assemble, like how much did you knew about WFM before going in to co-create Assemble? Uh, yeah. And I wanted to know to actually know why the name, but we can go there in, in a minute. But I wanted to know how much did you knew about WFM before? Yeah, so I'll be honest, nothing, right? <laughs> so, um, so, so the story is I, I joined Stripe when it was around 80 people. And actually, they only had the title engineer. I don't have an engineering background. I was actually studied economics, studied statistics. I was a management consultant. Um, I joined originally as a data scientist. Um, my brother, Sesh, now co-founder, referred me to Stripe. Um, but I was not an engineer. I only became it one while I was there. The last thing that I worked on at Stripe was support tooling with my other co-founder, Brian Z, who was employee number 30 very early on. And um, what we had perceived was that Stripe cared a lot about support tools, um, about support in general. Like I remember Patrick and John Collison, the co-founders of Stripe, when I joined, they would have people over their apartment to do support tickets, right? Um, and obviously that's not gonna scale. And so uh, when we came on the scene, um, to work on on this this type of tooling at, at Stripe, it was just there was this realization. This is incredibly important. Harken back to the days when you know I was in the apartment. How do we deliver that that level of service um, and that level of care, but at scale? Um, and then so when we started Assembled, it was kind of just with the, the knowledge of how this worked at Stripe. We thought, okay, maybe we understand tooling and the support industry. We knew nothing about workforce management. It was maybe three months, six months, eight months of building prototypes trying to sell stuff and not getting anywhere. When finally we just asked the head of support at Stripe, and this was Brian's great insight, you just asked him, what is software you need to buy in the next year where you hate your options? And he told us about workforce management. It was like, I was at Google before, now I'm at Stripe, we're poised for all this growth, we're hiring all these people. The challenge is how do you put them in the right place at the right time, You know, position them for success? That's what workforce management is. You should go check it out. And so really we just cheated on the test. We knew nothing about workforce management, we were struggling with the startup in the early days and we just asked like, hey, what should we work on? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very fun story. And, and, and what about the name, Assembled? How, how did yeah. you get there? The name, so I remember exactly where we were when we came up with the name. It was at, um, uh, it was at Stable Cafe in San Francisco. I think the name was around this idea that, because um, we had, you know, the same type of story I just told, we knew that this, the support teams grow so fantastically quickly. And what we'd seen was that like, on the one hand, you come in and think, oh, AI will automate everything away. But when you're in there, in reality, it's people doing a bunch of different things, stitching a, a bunch of different systems together, looking across a bunch of different places. And then there's the logistics arm, the operations arm, the tooling arm, right? And assembling all the information, all the tools you need, is kind of the challenging part. 
I like I like the story. And and you you answered one of the questions that I had as a curiosity because I, I I wondered why you went to a software engineer. I thought that you did some kind of like crossover <laughs> career that was hidden in your profile at LinkedIn. So <laughs> it's good. It's it's funny that at the size of the company, like everyone was kind of like what what they were to to make it work. So funny, but funny story. Only been an engineer for maybe two years of my career. I I am flattered that people think of me that way. I always, you know, it was like at Stripe, it was like those are the people that you wanted to be, right? Like, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, but so that was the back in the day. So I wanted to know now with like the journey. Uh, if I'm if I'm okay, so assembled has close to five years, so four to five years, something like that. So. Yeah. I think you now know a bit more about uh, workforce management. So I wanted to know in your own words, how do you phrase workforce management, the meaning to you? Yeah, I go back to that kind of right person, right place, right time. Um, and and so, so that's one piece of it. And, and, and another, another way I describe it is um, I actually put my other hat on. I studied economics in school. Um, I think about matching supply and demand. Supply being who's working when, uh, you know, distributed across different queues, specialization, sites, et cetera. What happens when you take time off? What happens intraday? Um, demand being, what do your customers need? Uh, what issues are they going to run into? Uh, and if you want to respond to them in 30 seconds or a minute or 24 hours, right? Like what's required in terms of staffing? Um, I think of those two things. And I think they're analogs of, of the same principle, you know, right person, right place, right time. Yeah, it's funny because I, I use that a lot when I want to describe to someone what it is. I use two two of my common, common analogies. One is about aviation because everyone understands like the coming in, coming out and, and it works well. And, and the supply and demand, I use, I have loads of friends in supply chain uh, and planning. And, and when we are speaking about issues, like it's the same thing. It's like, we are trying to do the same concept. Like if we abstract from what we have to work, it's the same principles. It's the same methods. It's the same approaches. Some of them work better in the physical space, others work better in the digital space, but in the end of the day, it's, it's very similar. I, 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 think, I think it's spot on. Um, and thinking about like, we, we started shaping so past where you are today, and I wanted to know more about the future and especially at Assembled, and I mentioned this before, you, you are a new breed, you are trying to do things differently. Like we have loads of companies that have been in the space for a long time. Uh, all of them have huge credit for what they achieve. I think Assembly is doing some things a bit different, but I wanted to know more about what you think that are today the best opportunities or the biggest opportunities for the future of WFM. Um, for WFM generally or yeah, for- in general. Yeah. yeah, I think I think generally, so so there's there's two things I think of and they're somewhat at odds, but, but, but not exactly. I think there's a balance. So I think one is, um, you know, there's there's different terms to describe this, like agent flexibility, agent empowerment, um, what have you. But the 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 north star that I think about is kind of gig economy esque, you know, work. Like, there's a reason that people drive for Uber, you know, deliver for DoorDash, even though there's no benefits. You're putting miles on your car, right? And it's like this flexibility. I have two hours. I can jump out. I can plan my schedule. Like, that's incredible. People are willing to do that. And if in the perfect version of WFM, if we know exactly what the business needs. You know exactly, oh, you take two hours, you know, your, this is your skill and, and you can contribute two hours here. Like, this is what we need. Um, then there's a world where we can combine, once again, supply and demand of what people are willing to do with, with, the, with, with what the business needs, right? And so I yeah. think a lot of the way that, a lot of the things that we're building up to are actually around aligning that empowerment, that flexibility with mm -hmm. the needs of the business. Um, the other one is maybe a boring one because like the deeper I go in WFM, um, 
the more fundamental it feels. And, and especially, you know, sitting here, it's like, you know, June, 2022, right? Um, markets are in a, there's a lot of yeah. economic uncertainty, right? Companies are freezing, hiring, even doing layoffs. There's gonna be some challenges ahead and efficiency is on everybody's brain. This is the time for WFM to shine, right? I find myself talking to a lot of different uh, leaders, investors, um, people at companies. And it's like, this is exactly what this is built for. Like, yeah. and in particular, I think companies realize it's so competitive out there. Like in the slowdown, you can't just go fire everybody on the support team. Like that's not like consumers yeah. are going to have very high expectations still. In fact, they're going to be pickier than ever. Right. And so you still mm -hmm. have to deliver this world-class service and do it efficiently. Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah, I think there's that, that future piece, but also this like back to basics. Yeah, I really love this. And I think the audience, because most of the, our audience is very, the guys that have been in the industry for a long time. And I think you picked the right message, which is it's probably the best time for to be in WFM career because it's the actual the opportunity to show like many times we like I know I heard from people that they have been trying working on projects around efficiency, but it was not the priority for the company. Like growth was the priority, and I think it's now it's the time where we could showcase exactly what we can deliver. It's, it's great to to hear that uh, from your hand. Continue to pick on the future, um, and I know you are in a position as a CEO that you probably can dream big. Um, but uh, even though we got like a new round of investment, I think it, your budget is not unlimited. But I wanted to, for a, for a moment to dream uh, with you, like if you had no limitations, no budget, uh, like no limitations on budget, time, resources, what would be the one thing that you would fix for the WFM industry? Anything, doesn't need to be at the assembled scope. Yeah, I think um, there's this tricky balance, right? That uh, of to come back to efficiency and even go one click deeper of, um, I you know, I think about what are we really trying to do? I, I think about this always, right? Like, what are we really trying to do? Why? Um, and in this industry, I think we're trying to build a world where there's data-driven decision-making, there's accountability for teams, right? There's efficiency. Um, but then that gets wrapped up into terms like adherence and occupancy, which are kind of important metrics of success. But, you know, even saying them, like I have a like lingering distaste in my mouth or like when I explain this to people who don't understand, it's like, oh, adherence, like that's such a, you know, but something about word. that term that feels big brothery, right? And I think we're always towing that line. I didn't set out to do this to build, you know, big brother, right? Like we're monitoring people all the time. But so I, I think what I'd love to do is rename and reframe that. And I think there's an alternative, which is like, we know we want efficiency. We know that we, we can't like let people do just, you know, un, unfettered, like, oh, you know, like we, we hope that they'll do the right thing. Um, but I was at this conference, somebody was giving a talk about implementing WFM, implementing Assembled, the change management that went into it. And they had two interesting things because they were really worried about these conversations of like introducing adherence, introducing time tracking, time management, um, quote unquote. And at the end of it, what they found is that the top performers were very happy. Yeah. Suddenly all the things that they were doing were being captured. And they had like so much more information about like the just breadth of activity that they're engaged in. And the low performers actually had improved. Now this isn't always gonna happen, but like the way that the, the team had pulled this off was just incredible to me. They, having seen, you know, all the, the metrics around, you know, where they weren't doing well, adherence sometimes, productivity sometimes, uh, managers were able to see that data and start coaching them. And so I think about if I could change anything, it's to, to use data instead of like as this punitive, like top-down big brothery type of thing, mm -hmm. to use it as kind of enabling, uh, enabling kind of development coaching type of thing um yeah. if, if i get your words it's something like 
if I get it right, it's like you are trying to say, and I think it, at least is the way it's resonating with me. It's like people getting their own data and they can leverage their own data like in their hands instead of like, like you said, top down. It's like they can see where they are. Like it's even making it fun uh, because yeah. they see where they can go if they course correct small things around the way they are performing that sometimes they don't even realize of the inefficiencies that they are going through. Exactly. And um, there's another example that comes to mind. I was talking to Brad Cleveland recently mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he was talking about this call center that he was helping consult with. And there was a guy who just had incredibly long handle times. It was because he was just so dedicated to documenting every single thing that he did and making sure the customer knew. Um, and he was like, identify these, and he would identify these kind of like alternative paths that, that people could take. And it was like, if you look only at like one narrow slice of data, you treat it as kind of this punitive thing, you miss out on what they're actually doing, but you can coach them. Like, like I like it. And so I think there's, there's something quite interesting that hasn't quite been unlocked in a lot of organizations, I think. And, and how do you see AI and all of the impact it will have in this industry? So one thing that is very present, most time people don't think about AI, but forecasting is, is data science and it touches on AI in a lot of in a lot of aspects. But I wanted to to hear from you. What do you think that will be the impact of AI uh, across WFM in the future? What do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, probably for this audience, we don't need to dispel the like, oh, robots are replacing us. Let's you know <laughs> call it a day and go sip coffee, right? Um, but I think. Um, uh, you know, it, just for completeness sake, I, I don't think that is, yeah. you know, what's going to happen. But I think what is going to happen is that there are kind of, there's this intelligence layer that makes everybody able to do the things um, that they're really good at. And, and, what, and what I mean by that is like, what AI can do is remove manual toil. When it comes to forecasting, it's kind of like gathering the specific data, like putting together the arrival. Path. Like that's, that's kind of rote at this point for a lot of people, right? Um, and then what you really are trying to do is make decisions, make judgments about, okay, we have um, this upcoming event. We have an upcoming marketing campaign. Like, what should we do about that? And so I think, uh, or on the scheduling side, it's kind of like, okay, here are the rules that we want to implement. Like, I don't need to kind of go through and ch hand check every single schedule that they follow the rule, um, or, you know, to be compliant or to have like five by 10 or five by eight balanced against four by 10. But what AI can do is you click the button take into account people's preferences. Um, and then you're more about kind of like managing with people expectations, putting together the structure, the rules that, that need to yeah. go in. So, so I think it is machine, that right? higher, uh, like making people a lot more, yeah. making, their, making their decisions much more high level. Yeah, one of the good examples that I always, I, I, it's one of my personal wishes, but I never saw it done properly, which is, I think there is a layer of alarmistic that could be built, um, but it's hard because every, Every software tried to build itself, like telephony softwares will do it, yeah. email softwares, like any kind of like conversational commerce tried to do it itself. And then WFM is on that middle trying to connect all points, which is how do we get to a point that like real-time monitoring can be, depends on the size of your company. It can be really hard. Uh, and creating alarmistic layers that allow to, for the decision-making to be much faster than like in seconds. I think that's a huge opportunity, but it, you touched on that a bit, which is like, it requires like human inputs, learning and time. And, but I think I, I, I get your point that this is my personal one. I really would love to see that fixed because I think that yeah. would save hours and hours uh, and probably would be like, you could shrink weeks and months to spot uh, issues that otherwise would be gone like 
buy, you pass by and you don't realize you are having those those, those issues. Um, but I think I think you touched on something interesting too, which is um, you know there's the AI piece of it, there's the machine learning, all this intelligence stuff. But then like it's as we all know, garbage in, garbage out, and it is data. And if every yeah. system, you know, we've worked with so many different systems, and every given company has like five, right? Like um, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And to stitch it all together to have the data that we need in the first place, I feel like that is almost the hardest part <laughs> from a you know operational perspective. And um, this was true at Stripe, by the way, too. As an engineer um, for Stripe, it was like stitching together all the different payment systems, Mastercard, yeah. the networks, and I think the analog uh, for for WFM is stitching together your you know your Salesforce, your Ring Central, your Avaya, your Cisco, um, all of these things. But, but that's the hard part. <laughs> Yeah, getting the data you need in one place, and, and and the truth is that not everyone, from an integrations perspective, is not everyone in the in the industry thinks that in integration first is the path because they always build the software to be like kind of like something I, I don't I don't know it's like a they build a layer but they forget about that ten yes. years from today you need that integration otherwise you will not scale so it's it's always interesting. If that's okay, I want to shift a bit gears from. Uh, assembled and you as a CEO, but I wanted to focus more on you as a person. Uh, yeah. So I heard that you are a big reader. Uh, quick question. What's your favorite book? Um, <laughs> so, so I have the, the, the pandering answer here is Context Center Management on Fast Forward by Brad Cleveland. Uh, great book. Uh, we actually have everybody at Assembled uh, read it before they start. We send it up. But, but I, I love a mix of fiction and nonfiction. Um, actually, my favorite book is a book called If on a Winter's Night, a Traveler um, by Talo Calvino. And it's a book about a book that starts, If on a Winter's Night, a Traveler. Uh, and so it's very meta. So, uh, very winding, but, but, but uh, very intellectually kind of quite interesting. Yeah. And, and continue on this more personal note. So we, if you had the opportunity to have like uh, dinner with someone for like let's say two three hours, um, and I wanted to for you to pick two scenarios. One will be at your personal level, another one at your personal level. So let's say two dinners, two different days. With who would you be, would love to sit uh, to have dinner and a conversation at your personal level as well as at the professional level? The personal level and the professional level. Um, um... I think the personal one, I mean, I don't know how many people are basketball fans. The The Warriors are playing in the NBA finals. Um, yeah. And, you know, their coach, Steve Kerr, is quite incredible. You know, and, and I'm from Chicago, actually, originally. So Steve Kerr was a Chicago Bull uh, and, and now the coach of the Warriors. But there's something about the, the way the Warriors play as a team, a truly selfless team that I think I, I look at and I think, wow. It, um, and, and this is personal, by the way, because, like, to me, it's just elegant. It's incredible the type of spirit that they have. Um, and then also he personally has quite an interesting story where um, his father was a diplomat who was assassinated. Um, so he's been through a lot as a person and I would love to understand, um, you know, just how did he become the person that he's become? Because this is incredible leader, uh, incredible people person, incredible competitor, um, you know, won so many championships, you know, both as a player and a coach and just a wonderful human being. Um, so I'll be the personal one. He's the coach for Golden State Warriors for like what, like close to ten years, like eight to ten years, right? Eight. It's so. it's been a while. It's yeah. been a while. I, I, yeah. I, it's the name I always recall every time I think about the Warriors. So, yeah. Yeah. And and what about the professional level? Who ah, the professional play? level. Um, so maybe all the way on the other end. Um, I so so there's a, a set of books I love from by Andy Grove, former CEO of Intel. Um, 
he was an engineer, early engineer at Intel, and then became CEO. And um, I think maybe not everybody knows this, who's creator of the OKR, for, for better or for worse. <laughs> it very much took a scientific approach to management, you know, and it's like yeah. some things you agree or disagree with, but um, really took a like quite microscopic lens to like all the activities of management. And I think, I think management is hard. I think it's really hard. Um, and, and it's, you know, you learn a lot from doing, but, but also there are people that kind of like break apart the different pieces of it. And I think he was one of them. And I think you look at Intel, just their yeah. role in computing over time. And it's, it's an incredible yeah. company. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I agree with that. And, and if it was not uh, like you are in the tech space uh, today, so you said in the beginning you were studying for, to be in economics, but I wanted to think like, if it was not on the tech space, um, where do you think your career would have been going to if it was not this opportunity? So I almost became, um, well, I guess it would have been a long step still to become a professor, but I was thinking a lot about going to do a PhD in economics. And my first job out of college, I actually worked at this consulting company um, run by Steve Levitt, so the co-author of Freakonomics. And a lot of the people at the firm wanted to become PhDs in economics. You know, you follow the footsteps of your hero, your leader, right? And um, I remember asking him, uh, you know, a couple, one or two years in, like, you know, I think I want to go to do a PhD. How do I get into a good school? He asked me, why do you even want to be an economist in the first place? I explained it. And he said, I don't think you really mean that. It's like a very blunt person. And so, uh, you know, I, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I like to think that I, you know, have another career as a, you know, an economist or a professor, but th then again, maybe not. As Steve yeah. told me. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny one. Um, so we are getting close to the end, but I, I wanted to touch more on still on the personal side, but more on kind of like the advice side. So you have been CEO for, for a while. We have been uh, leading a company at a fast growing pace, like just led a funding round. And I wanted to touch more about advice that you could share. Uh, and I wanted to touch it from a, a few different uh, angles. So one around management. So like we have many managers on, on our podcast listening. Um, you managed this before, like managing its art. Yeah. So what are the top three advices you would give to, to the managers listening? Um, top three. Um, I think the immediate one that comes to mind is, and this is an unofficial cultural value of Assembled, but that feedback is a gift. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think giving feedback has always been hard. Yeah, I, I feel bad sometimes. It's like, I want to tell somebody something that they could do better. Um, or, you know, improve, et cetera, et cetera. And you feel bad, but it's actually more, it's more damaging to not tell somebody something in my experience. And then, you know, a month later, two months later, it's like, ah, you know, it, it comes to a head. Um, but the other side of that is also that feedback is a gift. And maybe this is like two things within one is that um, it has to be treated as a gift, right? Like um, to give somebody feedback, like, hey, this is terrible, yeah. not helpful you know, <laughs> and demotivating. And, um, it, but, but when phrases like, and, you know, there has to be the relationship to back it up. But when phrases like, I care about you, I care about this relationship, we are on a, the same team, we're working towards the same thing. Um, and here's how I think we together can do better. When feedback is framed as a gift in that way and thought of as that way, I've, I've found that it lands actually really, really well. And people are really appreciative. And you can be a little bit more direct, but people appreciate that you tell them because they understand that we're all on the same page. We're all trying to do the same thing. And then um, 
I'll just complete this with the trifecta feedback as a gift. I treat the feedback that people give me as a gift. Um, and sometimes it's like, oh, you want to like, oh, they don't really understand, uh, yeah. right? Or like, oh, they didn't see the full picture. But they have this other perspective that I don't. And so I've found that like being really, really positively receptive to feedback and acting on it and telling people, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to do this. I did this. I really learned a lot from it. It creates this beautiful cycle of, uh, of, of learning for everybody. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's great. And so I mentioned three. So the other one would be like, you mentioned this, but in an, from another way. So we, we make, everyone makes mistakes. So we often don't speak about it, but the truth is that we all, we all make mistakes. Like anything that you learned from a mistake you, you made that, that you wanted to share throughout, especially throughout the journey with Assemble, anything you would share with the audience uh, on a lesson learned from a mistake and feedback you could provide on it? Yeah, I think... I think it's always meta versions of the same mistake. And then you have to kind of like dial back. I think um, we're, we all live in this world where there's like a million things competing for attention. And I think it's uh, the hardest thing is to, to find focus and, and move urgently against focus, things that you, that you want to focus on. And I think the biggest mistakes I've made at Assembled are to try to take on too many things, to try to be everywhere all at once. A um, bunch of different examples of that, but it, it really boils down to that. And then, you know, when things have gone well, it's like, I know there are other things going on. I know that there are other fires burning. Sometimes fires just have to burn. I'm laser focused on this one. I'm going to do it and then move on to the next yeah. one. Um, so it's always been like when it felt like there were so many things to do and everything was falling apart, um, trying to do all of it was the worst mistake. And trying to do only the one most important thing was the best thing to yeah. do. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a great feedback, a great, a great lesson. I, I really like that one. Just to wrap up, and this is the very final one. So you, you mentioned loads of different like soft skills that are very valuable to you based on how you speak. But I wanted to, to know, uh, and it's probably aimed for future assembled workers. Uh, what's the, to work at Assemble, what is the what is a must like to work there? Like what's the skill that really matters for you the most when you hire? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's actually not a skill. Or I mean, we obviously test people for for their skills. But um, I think it is this, this sense in which that you have so much more to learn or, or kind of almost like a, a chip on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, I d our, our top culture value is act like a support agent. And I, and I often actually describe it like this, of like being really scrappy, kind of just getting in there and figuring out what's going on, um, not being daunted by the size of thoughts, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and just having like a positive attitude about it because uh, that's what people are, are looking for when they, mm -hmm. when they come to you. Um, when, when we identify that, kind of like this act like a support agent-ness, this scrappiness, this kind of like want to get better. Um, I mean, it's beautiful. It's incredible. Those, those folks, you know, you see where they are and then it's really where are they three months from now, six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now. That is, yeah. that is really an incredible thing. Yeah, that's 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 very nice, and and I hope it's it serves as a piece of advice for future workers at Assemble. Ryan, it's it's time to say goodbye, but I wanted to before we close, any anything you want to say, final words uh, to the audience? Um, I think WFM is an incredible industry. I think we should rename it. You know, we should make it more generally accessible. Um, and and you know, hit me up if you have ideas because uh, <laughs> we are working on exactly this. But it is so fundamental, like. From, from not knowing anything about this to now being deep in it, 
um, I think we sometimes get the question like, oh, that's a, it seems kind of specific, right? Like what, but, but no, actually this is so fundamental that matching a supply and demand, the right person, right place, right time. I think our impact can be really, really great um, and yeah. really, really large. Um, so this gets me excited. Yeah, I, I, the same. I have been. I will eat you up for ideas because this is one of the overall propositions to be the voice for the industry. But it's hard to explain what it is. So I'm more than happy to help you in this journey. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for the time uh, to set uh, you set aside. I know you are super busy. Once more, congrats on the huge milestone on the Series B funding, uh, and thank you so much for the time uh, spent with us. It was great speaking with you. And know you. No, thank you. This is super fun. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan. Thank you for listening to VWFM. This podcast is made and produced by André Leitão, Bilga Hentelun, Doug Carstetan, Gonçalo Gomes, and Kim Paz. If you like this show, don't forget to share it with your friends and colleagues. Visit our website, vwfm.com, to find more exclusive interviews and WFM content. See you next time. All rights reserved.